Good afternoon, Redeemed Church Fellowship. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to 1 Samuel chapter 18. We've been going through the, the life of David, and we saw his origins of how he started off as just this shepherd boy who was taking care of his father's flock out in his fields. And no one paid much attention to David, for he was the youngest of eight brothers. And he was just this young little runt uh, to, uh, to his brothers. He wasn't this great giant of a man who would be a king one day. They would have never expected him to approach the battlefield as they were all there together, facing the Philistines. And as David looked across, he saw Goliath the giant. His brothers would have never expected that he would have had so much courage and faith in his God that he would stand up to the giant, Goliath. And the reason why David had so much zeal against this giant is because this giant was attacking his God. He was putting down the Israelites and the one true almighty God. And this was something that David couldn't stand for. So David, having experienced in his lifetime as a shepherd, fighting off the wolves and the lions, he understood that God kept him all that time and because of that, he knew that God was going to be with him in battle. So he went forward. And as we read uh, just the other Wednesday night, God gave David victory over Goliath. And he ended up with his five stones, just using the one, firing it at his head with his slingshot. And the giant went down. And then he pulled the giant's own sword and took off the head of Goliath. And he brought it to King Saul. And the Israelites, they found favor now with David. They began to see, wow, who is this man who was so founded upon his God that he faced the giant alone? You see, he wasn't alone, though. God was with them all that time. And that's something that you see uh, as themed in, in David's life, that the Lord was with him. And the Lord was, was blessing David. He was teaching him. See, David was a man known as a man after God's own heart. David has his mistakes, and we're going to learn about that. But he still sought to please the Lord. So we're continuing now in our account of David's life. At this point, he is become just the victor. And now he is being brought before King Saul. And now in 1 Samuel chapter 18, beginning with verse 1, it says this. Now when he, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, 
and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So we have now these three characters at the beginning of this chapter. We have David, and we have King Saul, and then we have King Saul's son named Jonathan. And the Bible teaches us in these verses that Jonathan, his soul was knit to David, that they loved him as his own soul. Notice Jonathan had this brotherly love. The, the word for, for love here in the Old Testament, it, it's ahab. It's this brotherly, kindly affection. In the New Testament, there's four different words for love. If you're taking notes, I, I would encourage you to write these four Greek words down concerning what love is. The Greeks had a word for love known as phileo. That was the brotherly love. This brotherly love is, is amongst siblings, amongst friends, um, amongst relatives, where you have a, a genuine kind-hearted towards somebody else, where you care about them. That's phileo. There's a second type of love. That, that There's eros. This is the physical, the erotic type of, of love that's shared even between a, a husband and a wife in marriage. And people, they take the eros love also, and they use it outside of marriage, which is not commanded by God. That's eros. There's a third type of love in the Greek words known as storgi. Now, this is a very uh, specific family type of love, the way that a mother would love her, her child and a father his child and vice versa. It's, it's a, that family type love, that deep love. And then there's a fourth type of love. And this love, it, it's very important as you read the, the New Testament. It's used mostly when speaking of God because this word is agape. This is that agape love, that selfless, unconditional love. That love that God loved the world so much that despite our sin, he sent his son to die on the cross for us. See, Jonathan has this brotherly love towards David. And he gives to David. It said in verse 4 that he was giving him this belt, this bow, the sword, and his armor, that he made a covenant with David. There's an interesting context when you see men in the Old Testament making covenants with one another. You see, a covenant was an oath. It was a promise. And we see the, the covenants being given to, to men when they were exchanging some sort of, of value or promise. We saw this in Abraham's life when he sent the servant to go find a wife for his son. 
he made that servant swear an oath to Abraham and made, made a covenant with him. A lot of times we see this covenant. Now, in the context of what the Jewish culture would do, this covenant actually would be the man. It says in the Bible that they would grab each other underneath the thigh. And that was literally a, a, a cupping of, of each other in one of the most sacred places a man could have. And it, it was basically saying, you're swearing on my seed. So this covenant was this Jewish practice that they would swear on even the sign of the circumcision or the sign of the seed. So this was a, a, a very intense bond. They were now these brothers by covenant. Notice how Jonathan is giving to David so much, yet Saul, on the other hand, what is Saul doing? It says in verse 2, Saul took him that day and would not let him go to his father's house anymore. I see a selfishness in Saul. And that's why, I, I, as I'm going through these two chapters, I, I wanted to title today's study, The Jealousy of Saul. In verse 5, So David went out wherever Saul sent him, and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Uh, notice David's character here in these verses. It says that he was a wise man. He behaved wisely. He was a man of war. He was a leader accepted by both the laymen and those of rank. You see, as a victor would come home from a battle that he was victorious over, he would be celebrated in ceremony, and that's exactly what these women were doing here. They were celebrating that David had slayed his ten thousands. And notice they said Saul his thousands, but they attributed to David ten thousands. And then in verse 8, Saul's reaction. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom. So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Uh, we see the antagonists revealed here in this life of David, that being Saul. Saul begins to be jealous of David, his servant. And jealousy is a very terrible and wicked sin that we can all fail in. I think everyone in their life has had that some more than others, but a bit of jealousy entered their hearts when we see somebody else has something that we want, whether it be success or an item, a possession, position. We can become jealous. This is the same sin that Satan, Lucifer, in heaven had towards God Almighty. 
Lucifer saw God's power and his honor and said, I will ascend. He said, I will be like the most high. Because he, he was jealous and prideful. I have some verses concerning jealousy because I see it as a danger in a believer's life to be jealous. I'm going to read these verses to you. You, you don't need to turn your Bible there, but I would encourage you to write these verses down, just the, the book and the, the chapter and verse as I go through them. And then maybe later on, go through them in your, in your study time. It says this in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. So the opposite of jealousy, it's, it's love. And you can't truly love someone fully and completely when there's jealousy in your heart towards them. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And how true is that? We could be so selfish sometimes and praying selfishly. But remember to put others first. In James 3, verses 14 and 15, it says, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. The wisdom, this wisdom, does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. That's pretty powerful, that, what James is saying here in James 3. He said that uh, jealousy is actually earthly, sensual, and demonic. Perhaps you're battling with demonic oppression. Maybe the, one of the causes from those demons is from jealousy itself. It's something we need to just be careful of, be mindful of. In Psalms 37, verses 1 and 3, it says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. See, don't be jealous when the world prospers. Remember the, the psalmist was writing how he didn't understand how the wicked were being blessed and how they were successful in this life. Why God would allow that when the psalmist was suffering when he was following after God. It says, until I went into the sanctuary and knew and understood their end, then he was able to worship the Lord. We have a, had to have an eternal perspective on our future. In Proverbs 14, verse 30, it says, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Ooh. You see, it, it hurts us from the inside out. Envy, it, it causes us to 
first think wrong and then to act wrong. Because it's sin. And that's what sin does. So if you're struggling with jealousy, give it to the Lord. Cast that into God's hands, on, onto his cross. And don't allow the enemy to use it as a, as a foothold in your life. Continuing on now in 1 Samuel 19. 18, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 18. Verse 10. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. See, notice the jealousy was building up in Saul, and the the, the distressing spirit came back upon Saul. He had already been dealing with this. And what is David here doing, the, the man he's jealous of? He's playing the harp for him, the music, as at other times, to cause that evil spirit to go away. But there is the spear in God's hand. It says in the middle of verse 10 that Saul prophesied inside the house. Now that's interesting. I, I had to look at that and see what the, the word actually meant for prophesied because... I was kind of conflicted of why would the spirit of, of this distressing spirit come upon Saul and why would Saul be prophesying in the house? Well, the actual word for prophesying, there could be two meanings. One, that he was delivering out divine songs as the prophet did. Or the other and more likely interpretation or, or the meaning of that actual word in the Old Testament is to rave madly. So many scholars interpret the use of the word prophecy as to rave madly, either mimicking the prophets or acting like a madman, uttering foolish words and gestures, which seemed to be most agreeable with the evil spirit that was in him, that was upon him. So sometimes in the Bible you'll have words that when you look at the original of the Hebrew, which most of the, of the Old Testament is written in the Hebrew. And sometimes those words have different meaning, but it doesn't take away from the truth or the context. So you read the passage in context, and you can have that better understanding. So the next question I ask is, why would God send an evil spirit? Because that could sound like God was, wasn't being fair to Saul, Right? Well, first note this, that God loved Saul, but Saul rejected God. Remember, previously, he, he would do the, the sacrifices without a priest there. He wouldn't wait on the Lord as God commanded. He also wouldn't uh, fully and completely destroy the enemies that God sent him to, to go destroy. But Saul would keep king, uh, the king, Agag, and spare him and the best of the flock. And this too was a direct disobedience to God's command. So Saul was given opportunity and opportunity, and he would still disobey the Lord. Saul rejected God. Saul was not innocent. So as punishment, 
God withdrew his spirit from Saul and allowed the forces of evil that Saul exposed himself to to reign over and to hurt him. It's important to note as we study the Bible and as you're growing and as you're sharing with people in the world that God is not the creator of evil. But he does use evil ultimately to carry out his good work. We have to properly define evil in order to understand this. You see, evil isn't this Star Wars force that like, can enter into rooms and, and do things like that. That's not what evil is. It's not an essence. The proper definition for evil, it's a corruption of something that is good. So you have the apple, and the apple begins to decay. That's the evil. It's, it's eating away at something that is good. Remember, in the book of Job, God allowed Satan to attack Job. But God himself did not attack Job. And God was ultimately perfecting within Job that perfect work. So God is allowing, even in our world today, trial. He's allowing uh, pestilence to come upon us. And there is evil in this world. We live in a fallen world. See, God created all things good. But evil was the byproduct of Satan. And we allowed that into our hearts, Adam and Eve, at the beginning. So remember, evil is a corruption of something that is good. Again, at the end of verse 10, it said, So David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. Verse 11. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So notice how David's worshiping the Lord. He's there to help comfort his king. And what does Saul, King Saul do? He, with the spear in his hand, he attacks David. See, Saul first attacked the Lord's work, and then he removed himself from it. He sent David away. And that's what the enemy is going to do in our lives when we're preparing to worship with the Lord, when we're on our way to go to church or to have our devotional time when we're trying to tune in to see uh, the live studies of, of pastors and of, of teachers, all of a sudden the technology breaks, the kids, they start going crazy and all the hair gets pulled out of your head. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to create in us this atmosphere where we can't focus on the Lord. But remember, God is powerful and he can overcome. 
Now, notice how David was wise in all of his ways, and more importantly, the Lord was with him. It's going to be a common theme. David's wisdom would lead him to write 75 of the Psalms. There's the book in the Bible, the book of the Psalms, and it's all these poems, these poetical books. And David wrote 75 of them. He was quite a worship leader. What is wisdom? When you look at at wisdom in the Old Testament, the definition, it means to be circumspect, to have insight and success. You see that word to be circumspect? It comes from two words. You have the word circumference, and then you have the word inspect, both in the word circumspect. And that means to, if you're going to put yourself in the middle on this point and draw a circle around that area of where you were, to be circumspect would mean that you are aware of all of your surroundings in a circle, a 360-degree radius. It's like you're walking through a minefield where there's booby traps and you are aware of every step you take and you're aware of where the trip wires are and where those explosives are going to go off. And that's how we need to be wise in our own lives is we need to see a situation from all different angles so that we can know how to perform and how to operate in the spirit. Now David was this way. You see, wisdom was different than knowledge. You see, knowledge is to have information, but wisdom is to apply that information effectively in your life. In verse 17, it says, And then Saul said to David, Here is my oldest daughter, Merib. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So David said to Saul, who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it happened at that time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that he was given, that she was given to Adriel, the Meholathite, as a wife. Now remember when David fought the Philistine giant Goliath, he was promised that he would get the king's daughter. And here Saul is kind of shady. He he takes Merib and he gives her away to some other man. And then it says that Saul was seeking, rather than killing David himself, that the Philistines would do the job for him. And David still, despite that fact, he held King Saul in high honor. That's in verse 18. He said, Who am I and what is my life for my family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? You see that humility in David's life. You see, to be humble, it doesn't mean that you think less of yourself. It means you don't think of yourself. It's not a putting down of who you are. 
it's just putting others first. You see, when you realize who you are in Christ, there's a certain part of, of loving in order so that you can help love others. Another attribute of David is that he was known for not going against the Lord's anointed. And we're going to see that as a common theme in David's life, that he wouldn't dare put his hand or even his words against King Saul. He still held them in high respect because God did send Samuel to anoint King Saul. Now in verse 20, Now Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, Communicate with David secretly and say, Look, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now therefore become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David, and David said, Does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? Again, David's humility. And look at that compared, though, to Saul's conspiracy now against David. He's saying, okay, well, I'm not going to try to go against him, but I'm going to use my own daughter as a trap for David to end him. Sometimes in our life, we try to go over so many hurdles so that we can fulfill sin. Sometimes God makes it hard for us to do that. He tries to put things in front of us in blockades, and yet we fight and we struggle to get over them. If you're striving in your life, I would commend us to, to stop, to submit and to surrender to God and to allow Him to, to be your peace and your comfort, to be your fulfillment. In verse 24, And the servants of Saul told him, saying, In this manner David spoke. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry, but one hundred foreskins of the Philistines, to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and killed two hundred men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins and gave them in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, as a wife. So, now we're continuing this drama, and to me, uh, this life of David, it's, it, it makes a great movie, where Saul had attempted to trap David by offering the marriage in exchange for putting his own life at risk. 
And David, knowing that God was with him, must have remembered his battle with the lion, the, the battle with the bear, and then even the battle with Goliath. And he found the challenge from Saul to be in that same category. Saul said, okay, I want you to go and fight in my war, fight in my battle. And in order to marry my daughter, I want you to, be, to bring me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And what did David do? He brought back 200. And it reminds me, sometimes people are going to ask much from you. Sometimes your enemy is going to ask for a coat. Jesus said, if your enemy asks you for a coat, give him two coats. If your enemy asks you to help carry something for him for a mile, go two miles. And the emphasis behind it is not the overbearing yourself with chores and responsibilities, but the heart of it is to love someone, to love your enemy, to want to show them that love. Even despite the way that they treat you or look at you, I I can count so many times in my life where God has allowed people that are kind of coarse and maybe mean in in my life and, and made me put it in my heart by the Holy Spirit to be loving to that person. And maybe not right away, but over the course of time, God would soften that person's heart. I I remember uh, there'd be times when I I would be challenged in, in my faith and in my belief. And I would express to a person that I I couldn't come at them with with evil, but it was because God had put that love in my heart for them. And that's how we are supposed to be a witness, with love. In verse 28, Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princess of the Philistines, I'm sorry, princes of the Philistines, that would have been weird, went out to war. And so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name became highly esteemed. Now we see here this progression in Saul's life. You see, Saul had first favored David because David would play the harp for him. And then quickly, Saul became jealous of David once he killed Goliath. And that jealousy led to bitterness. And then bitterness led to hate, to hate him as an enemy all the way to murder Satan will often tempt us in stages. He might not come to us with the great outright sin at first because he knows that if we we had that major sin placed right before our faces, before our life, we would say, oh, I'm not going to do that and walk away. But Satan, he's smart. He's one of the greatest psychologists there is because he's been on this earth since the beginning. He knows the way men and women think. 
He knows what's, what easily gets us into vices and into sin. So sometimes he tempts us in stages. He first puts you in that little compromise. And then now, once you kind of get past that compromise, you're like, oh, like, yeah, it's bad, but it's not that bad. And then slowly but surely, that, that sin of whatever it could be just progresses and builds and grows, just like it did in Saul's life. If you were to take a, a frog as an example, if you were to take a frog and drop that frog in a hot, boiling pot of hot water, that frog would jump out right away because it would be like, whoa, it's too hot. But if you were to take that same frog and put it in a tub of lukewarm water, you'd be like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then you'd slowly adjust the heat, slowly but surely, slowly but surely. That frog wouldn't even notice that he would be boiling to death, and the frog would die. And that's what sin sometimes does in our hearts and in our minds. It's a slow staging, subtle, where the enemy wants to get you away from God. In chapter 19, beginning with verse 1, it says this, Now Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father, Saul, seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. See, Saul was driven out to murder David. Now, if you have hate for someone in your life, Jesus said that you've already committed murder in your heart. And Jonathan, on the other hand, was very loyal to David, and especially after the covenant that he made. Jonathan and David, to me, it's a reminder of how good fellowship is in a person's life. It's good to have people in your life who you can go to with spiritual problems, where you could go to with any problems, really, and who are going to point you back to God. The Bible teaches that as iron sharpens iron, so a man's countenance sharpens his brother's. And that's why we need to have fellowship. In the season that we're in, it's, it's hard to meet physically right now. There's a danger right now of, of meeting together physically because there's a virus that could kill one another. But thank God he's blessed us with the technology that we have where we can call our friends and family members. We can do the, the FaceTime and, and see how each other is doing. And I would encourage you guys to, to do that, to continue to have discussions concerning God and to not just leave all the talk about sports, which aren't even around right now, but about movies and what's great on Netflix right now, but allow your conversation to get to Jesus. Use his name in conversation. Be that witness with people. In verse 4, 
Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was a war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. At this point, David was probably watching that spear in Saul's hand because he had already tried to kill him twice with it. Saul here, he's exhibiting symptoms of someone who's bipolar, where at one point he'll be loving David and swear, oh, well, no, no harm will come to David. And then suddenly he flips a switch and he wants to cast that spear at him. Look at verse 10. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through a window. And he went and fled and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed and put a cover of goat's hair for his head and covered it with clothes. So Saul now is seeking to kill David. So Michal, his wife, tries to, to come up with a scheme to get David into safe hiding. So she fills the, the bed with the pillows and she puts the, the cover of goat's hair for his head. Perhaps you've done that. Well, this is the original sneaking out, and it's not something I, I recommend. But this is the original sneaking out in the Bible. We do find that there are times in the Bible when men of God wisely retreated. In the New Testament, Paul, he's let down in a basket secretly out of a window in Damascus, in order to escape the Jews who were seeking to kill him. I'm thinking of the two spies sent into Jericho and how the woman Rahab hid them. Wisely, they were hiding. You see, there's a time in a believer's life when we need to retreat. Perhaps you heard of, of Christians gathering together and going up to the mountains or to the beach or just away on what seems like a vacation, but they call it a retreat. You see, on those retreats, what they're 
doing, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, is they're worshiping the Lord and they're, and they're getting deep in their word and they're hearing Bible studies because that's what a retreat is. It's a retreat from the battle here on this earth. You see, we're in a spiritual battle. And our spirits, they need time to regain strength from the battle that we constantly find ourselves in. So that's the value of getting away and just setting that time aside. Now, perhaps you can't go up to the mountains, maybe right now. So I would encourage you guys, find retreats in your daily life. Find that secret place, that place where you can get alone and pray and read. Maybe as you're driving to work, you could put on worship music and hear those Bible studies. And those are good to, to keep us in the spirit, to keep us in God's will. But I would also encourage you, when, when this virus is all over, every once in a while, plan that retreat. Plan it so that you can really get away for a few days, not just uh, the, the momentary in the day thing, which we need every day. For me, sometimes I use surfing to do that, to get away and to pray. But it's good to have those, those weekend retreats, those week retreats. One of the blessings that I, I got to do as, as a young man growing up is to go on a, a whole family retreat with uh, my church over at Calvary Chapel, Colton Springs. We'd go as a family up to Mammoth Mountain. And it would always be an awesome time where God would speak to us. And I remember even my grandparents uh, reading the Bible with me. And our fathers teaching us the Bible. So David, wisely, he retreated at this point. And in verse 14, it says, So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. In verse 15, Then Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. So I find it kind of comical right here. So Saul sends these two messengers to go kill David. And they knock on the door and they say, where's David? And Michal, the wife, just says, oh, he's sick in bed. And they're like, all right, we're going to leave him alone. We're going to come back later. (laughs) And they go back to King Saul. You see, what I really, kind of my theory of what was happening here is that perhaps the messengers who were sent to kill David when they found out he was sick Originally, maybe they never wanted to kill David because David was in favorable terms with them. And so when they found out he was sick, they went back to Saul and said, hey, the guy's sick right now. And then in verse 16, and when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with the cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me like this? And sent my enemy away so that he has escaped. And Michal answered Saul. He said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Ah, now here's an interesting exchange. Saul's asking his daughter, why would you let David escape? And Michal, she said something of David that wasn't so honorable. She said that, that David basically threatened to kill her. Which, that wasn't true. You see, she was originally the one who created the whole plan to help David escape. And then 
she may have even made her husband look cruel so much that Saul and his hatred would have raged towards David because in Saul's mind, he tried to kill his daughter. In verse 18, So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. So where did David go to? He ran to Samuel. He went to those who followed after God. He gathered with them. This is where David would retreat to. Now it's at this point where David begins to greatly call upon God and express his thoughts even in poetry. See, there's a psalm, Psalm chapter 59, records exactly what David felt and what he was going through here at this moment. I want to read a few verses. If you'd like, go ahead and turn to to Psalm 59. We're just going to go through a few verses, and uh, I'm not going to expound too much on them. I would encourage you to read this uh, more in depth than what, as you're going through the Psalms on your own time. But Psalm 59, beginning with verse 1, it says this, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity. And save me from my bloodthirsty men. In verse 3, For look, they lie in wait for me. The mighty gather against me. Not for my transgression, not for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves, though no fault of mine. Awake to help me, and behold, you therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. Selah. That selah means to pause and to meditate on what was just written, what was just said. Why don't you skip down to verse 14 in that psalm. And at the evening they return. They growl like a dog and go all around the city. They wander up and down for food and howl if they are not satisfied. But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning, for you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for my God is my defense, my God of mercy. Wow, what a beautiful psalm where David has these emotions where he's feeling the pressure of the enemy, yet at the end of it, he ends up singing out to who his God is, the God of power, a God of mercy, of strength, his defense. And what do we find David doing in the midst of his trial? He's worshiping the Lord. That's a a word of the Lord for us, his church right now, going through trial, going through personal trials, going through global trials. Worship the Lord, for he is our mercy, he is our defense, and he's our strength through the trials. See, sometimes God doesn't remove the trial from your life, but sometimes, no, all the time, I'm sorry, all the time, he takes you through it if he doesn't remove it. He will always be with you. The Bible teaches he never leaves us, he never forsakes us. 
in verse 19. Going back to 1 Samuel chapter 19. Going down to verse 19. Now it was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the group of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. So Saul keeps sending these men to kill David, and time after time, as they would enter into Ramah, they would be met by the prophets there, for there was a school of prophets there, the Bible teaches. And the prophets would be worshiping the Lord in the Spirit. And that word for prophecy, it could be that they were singing praises led by the Spirit. It could also mean that they were foretelling of God's Word. Or it could also mean that they were foretelling of God's prophecies. And they were doing one of these three. And then the men who went to go kill David would see this happening. And then they themselves would begin to prophesy along with them. Some have commented that perhaps the prophecies that they started to say out loud along with them were foretelling of David's rule as king. And so scared, they realized what was happening. Oh my gosh, what just happened? What did I just say? What did I just utter? And they would go back to their king, Saul. And in verse 22, then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Seku. So he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they are at Naoth in Ramah. So he went there to, Ra- to Naoth in Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner. And lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Ah, see, this is God's handiwork. This is what I love about our God. He's so powerful that the enemies of David all ended up praising the very God whom was protecting David. You see, Saul himself began to prophesy, and the people were like, whoa, is is Saul, King Saul, also a prophet? A phrase listed here in 1 Samuel and also through other men, even like Joseph, is that in whatever situation they were in concerning David, it said, and the Lord was with him. See, God was with David. And God is with us, his children. God is with us, the believers. See, despite the enemy coming against us to attack us with with fear, with doubt, with anxiety, with sin, with anger and depression, with thoughts of lust or or greed or, or anything, God is more powerful than that. 
God is able to enter in your situation to be with you. And all we have to do is just accept that gracious gift that he gives to us. See, salvation is the free gift of God. And as we desire to be mature and to to grow in our word, to grow to be more like Jesus, it starts with that relationship. So one of the awesome things about going through the Bible is you come across these accounts of these men of God like David, and you could glean from all the wisdom in it. I would encourage you guys to, to find a way to plan for yourselves to read through personally the entire Bible. You see, as believers, we need to know God's word fully and completely. We can't just know the highlights of the Bible or just the well-known stories of the Bible. In order to have a full context of the Bible, you need to, to study through it. You need to, to go through it. To have And the beauty of, of doing that is as you're reading through the Bible, you're developing your relationship with God. And you're growing stronger in your relationship with the Lord. And he has an awesome, amazing plan. And he wants to use his word. He wants to use other Christians and prayer in your life so that he can fulfill his ultimate, amazing, adventurous will in your life. So may this morning's study be a reminder to flee from jealousy, to behave wisely, to remember that God is with us, that he will protect us even as the enemy is attacking. And we simply need to open ourselves to that relationship with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you're so loving, you're so gracious to us, Father. Lord God, if there's anyone, Father, who is overwhelmed by the attacks of of the enemy, by the attacks of the world and of the flesh, I pray for that person now. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen them, Lord God, to trust in you, to let go of sin, and, Father, just to fully devote themselves to serving you. I pray and I ask, Lord God, that you would Give us hope and comfort and peace, Lord God, in this Father trying time. I pray for our family members out there. I pray for the Robles family, Lord God, the Flores family. Father, I pray for for Jen, Father, that you just heal her, Lord God, and Eric, Father. I, Father, just thank you for the work that you're doing in this season of our lives. We love you, Father. We praise you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, quick announcement. I, I would like to say, um, if you haven't been following us on YouTube uh, or, uh, or Facebook, I, I would encourage you guys to do so. Uh, there's some pretty cool podcasts now. We've uh, more recently done five podcasts in this time, uh, talking with all kinds of guys. And, uh, you know, it, it's cool to hear those testimonies. Recently, I got to interview my, my good friend, Afi, um, on his conversion from Islam to Christianity, from Islam actually to atheism to Christianity. So uh, check those things out. Uh, maybe listen to them. Um, see what, how God used people. And uh, 
the Spirit in their lives. But let's end with this uh, last song of worship, and then uh, you guys be blessed this Sunday morning. Give life, you are love. Bring light to the darkness. You give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our love. So we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. You give life, you are love, bring life to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken great are you Lord it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise pour out our praise it's your breath so we pour out our praise to you only. Great are you, Lord. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Love you guys. We're praying for you. 
Jesus' name, amen. God bless, guys.